We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 434 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, November 2nd, 2022, the day after a wild, a bonkers 2022 NFL trade deadline day that, yes, included the commanders making a trade. Corner William Jackson III gone. Uh, They were able to trade him. Uh, They got back very little for him, uh, but they did get his new team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, to take on the entirety of the rest of his contract. That, my friends, is a win in an overall situation that was a giant loss, a giant L, so much so that even Commander's head coach Ron Rivera on Tuesday admitted that he screwed up. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. We will try not to screw up on this show. I can't promise anything, but we'll do our best. Uh, What is, by the way, with Washington falling on its face so many times with free agent defensive backs over the years? I mean, I know our team doesn't exactly have a stellar overall free agency history, But, you know, you think about the misses by Washington in free agency. And, you know, not all of these guys were misses to the same extent. And some of these guys were good or were at least decent for a little while. But the free agent defensive back fails for Washington. Corner Deion Sanders. Safety Adam Archuleta. Safety Ryan Clark. Corner Josh Norman. Safety Landon Collins. Now corner William Jackson the third. There are others who I could bring up. I mean, and there have been some hits, but geez, a lot of misses, right? If not outright whiffs for Washington with free agent defensive backs over the years. Uh, next segment, a proper deep dive on the flop that was William Jackson the third's time with Washington. What went wrong? Why did it go wrong? And what are the lessons? Uh, Special guest on the show, Redskins all-time great quarterback, Joe Theismann. Uh, He most definitely was not a flop for the team. Uh, Joe's going to spend some time with us talking commanders, including a lot 
Hyde and quarterback Taylor Heineke. Uh, I'm going to ask Joe whether the commanders are better off with Taylor as their quarterback as compared to with Carson Wentz as their quarterback. I'm also going to ask Joe whether receiver Terry McLaurin compares with some of the great receivers in Redskins history. And I'm going to ask Joe for his reaction to all of the non-football stuff with the commanders. As keep in mind, Joe has very good relationships with the team's co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder. Joe Theismann is an F-O-D-A-T. Joe is a Fodat. He is a friend of Dan and Tanya. Uh, Also on the show, I'll talk Capitals. Uh, Boy, the Caps are ravaged by injury right now. Tuesday afternoon, they announced that forward Connor Brown had undergone surgery for a torn right ACL. And Tuesday night, the Caps lost to the Vegas Golden Knights 3-2 in overtime at Capital One Arena as another player got injured. Uh, One of their injury replacements, in fact, got injured. Forward Beck Malenstein suffered an upper body injury and did not return to the game. You know, that the Caps are 5-4-2 and two is a minor miracle. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Stanley Evans on Commander's quarterback Taylor Heineke of the 17-16 win at the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday, right? Stanley, I think we all know and agree that Heineke is not the long-term answer and won't ever be a franchise quarterback, but there's something about him that makes teammates and even some fans believe in him. If we keep any game close toward the end, I trust the ball in Tay-Tay's hands to make a play. He has done it before. There's no reason why he can't do it again. I was keeping my eye on the game at work, and when I saw that we had one last drive to win the game, something told me that Heineke just might pull this off. I screamed and scared everybody when Terry McLaurin caught that ball, and I said to myself, there's something about that dude, Heineke, as in Chase Young singing Heineke, uh, as Chase did late in the 2020 season. Continue, Stanley. When the game is on the line, Tay-Tay makes plays and gives his boy McLaurin every chance in the world to make plays. Yes, we are flawed, but so is more than half of the NFC. Uh, Thank you for the email, Stanley. And along those lines, email from uh, Saba. I hope that I'm pronouncing that right. His name is spelled C-S-A-B-A. And he writes about Taylor Heineke. There is no debate about Heineke's limitations as a quarterback, but how long are we going to ignore that he is a baller and a winner? I hate simplifying a quarterback's career to mere win-loss record. That said, do you know how far we need to go back to find a Washington quarterback with more starts and a better win-loss record than Heineke's? All the way to Brad Johnson, who incidentally happens to be my first Redskins quarterback in a long and tortured relationship with this franchise. You made an excellent point about the need to extend Heineke. He has earned it, and the team needs to do that. Keep up the great work. Uh, Thank you for that. Much appreciated. Uh, Yeah, so I, on Tuesday's show, episode 433, advocated for the commanders right now to be talking contract extension with Taylor Heineke. Uh, Taylor is set to be an unrestricted free agent this offseason. It has become crystal clear that he is a good, probably very good, maybe even top five backup quarterback 
in the NFL. He is capable of doing well as a starter. We now have seen that each of the last two seasons. He shouldn't cost a lot, especially when you consider the rising salary cap. He, of course, comes from a place of having been out of the NFL just two years ago, and he is very well regarded by teammates, so it's not like he's some malcontent if he's not the QB1. Yeah, the commanders right now should be talking contract extension with Taylor Heineke, and as far as the baller and winner stuff, no doubt you do have to be careful with that stuff, but that stuff does exist, and that stuff does matter. I mean, I don't ever want to be like dismissive of that stuff, and Taylor has that stuff. As I've said on the podcast this week, he is a Washington quarterback, now has a regular season record of nine and eight. By the standards of this, <laughs> by the standards of this franchise of the last thirty years, that's good. Uh, email from Steve Davis, who I'm assuming is not former Redskins running back Stephen Davis. All uh, right, Steve, regarding the Commanders' win at the Colts. Good morning, Al. I'll gladly take a win after wandering the wasteland of defeat for so long. Has there ever been a team that is as poor at running a traditional screen pass as this team? Either the commanders are unknowingly giving away a key that they intend to run the screen pass, or the O-line, aka the five blocks of Barang, just cannot execute. The play gets blown up time and time again, and at the current rate, one will soon result in an interception. Someone needs to get the memo to Scott Turner that the play is a powder keg. Love your show. Uh, Thank you, Steve. Uh, Yeah, great point on the screens. That was one of the more maddening aspects of the win at the Colts, the commander's lack of success on screens. First quarter receiver Terry McLaurin had a second and 10 run for a 70-yard loss as he caught a shotgun pass from Taylor Heineke that was behind Terry for what was officially a run, and Terry was immediately tackled by corner Kenny Moore II, who ran right by receiver Dax Milne, who whiffed on an attempted block. Uh, Second quarter, Taylor Heineke had a first and 10 under center play action completion to running back Antonio Gibson for a four-yard loss. Fourth quarter, Taylor Heineke had a second and 10 shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson for a three-yard loss. The commanders on Sunday had three screens that totaled minus 14 yards. That's atrocious, okay? Successful screens, uh, they are a function of a variety of things, good blocking, the quarterback hitting the target in stride, uh, the target generating yardage after the catch. There were some brutal screens by the commanders on Sunday, although in fairness to them, uh, there was some success on screens. First quarter, Taylor Heineke had a first and 10, 12-yard shotgun completion to Antonio Gibson on a screen, and Taylor's touchdown pass to Gibson came on what was a screen. Gibson on a second quarter, first and goal at the nine, caught a Taylor shotgun play action pass inside the 10, and then ran into the end zone for the touchdown. Up next, a thorough breakdown of the fail that was William Jackson III's tenure with Washington. Well, as you surely know, internet security and privacy are major issues. Uh, A great way to ensure internet security and privacy is with a VPN. VPN stands for Virtual Private Network. A VPN is a tool that encrypts your internet traffic and hides your IP address and virtual location. A VPN significantly boosts your online privacy and security. And there's no VPN that's better than NordVPN. 
Uh, the setup is easy. The benefits are many. You can secure your online data from internet thieves and third parties. You won't need to worry about unsecure websites or unsecure apps anymore. You won't need to worry about being on public Wi-Fi anymore. All of your internet traffic will be routed through a remote server so you can access websites that are restricted in your country. Uh, so you can have access to sports from all over the world and can have access to, say, not just the U.S. version of Netflix, but also the United Kingdom's version of Netflix. Uh, also, NordVPN has a threat protection feature that'll mean that you no longer have to worry about intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes the file before it makes a mess of your computer. And NordVPN allows you to secure up to six devices on one account. So here's what you do. Go to nordvpn.com slash algaldi to get your subscription started. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan and get a free month. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. That's nordvpn.com slash algaldi. nordvpn.com slash algaldi. Ratings and reviews help out the podcast a lot. Uh, you on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a brief review saying that you like the podcast. And thank you for doing the ratings and the reviews. Well, before we discuss and dissect and sort through the mess that is the William Jackson III disaster, uh, I do want to express my condolences to Commander's Head Coach Ron Rivera and his family. Uh, Ron's mom, Dolores, has died. Uh, you may recall that Ron last week missed the commander's Wednesday practice due to being in California to tend to what was described as a personal matter concerning his mother. Uh, the presumption was that she was dealing with some sort of health issue, although the way that Ron addressed the situation during his post-practice press conference last Thursday afternoon, it sounded like his mom had perhaps just been diagnosed with something. Now, maybe she had just been diagnosed with something, but sadly, she has passed away. A statement from the commander's on Tuesday afternoon, quote, we are saddened to announce that Coach Rivera's mother, Dolores, passed away peacefully yesterday evening with her husband and family members by her side. Coach Rivera is grateful that he was able to spend two days with her last week. The Snyders and the entire Commander's family extend their heartfelt condolences to Coach Rivera and his family. The Rivera family would like to say thank you for the many kind thoughts and prayers they have received. Arrangements are pending, and we would ask everyone to please respect the family's privacy during this difficult time, end quote. So I did want to acknowledge that. And now to the William Jackson III disaster. Uh, 2022 NFL trade deadline day was on Tuesday. Uh, the deadline was at 4 p.m. Eastern. It ended up being a very exciting day. Uh, you know, we in recent years have seen an increased rate of trading in the NFL and the lead-up to this year's NFL trade deadline ended up being very busy, very eventful. There were a record 10 trades made on 2022 NFL trade deadline day. Uh, most trades ever made on an NFL 
trade deadline day. Among the trades, by the way, was the commander's next opponent, the Minnesota Vikings, acquiring tight end TJ Hawkinson from the Detroit Lions in a rare intra-division trade of significance. Uh, Boy, do the Vikings have some impressive skill position players now, right? Receivers Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, running back Dalvin Cook, now TJ Hawkinson. Going to be quite the test for the commander's defense at FedEx Field this Sunday afternoon, beginning at 1. And that commander's defense now is officially without corner William Jackson III. The commanders on Tuesday afternoon traded William Jackson, traded WJ3 to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Of the terms of the trade, the commanders traded William Jackson III and a conditional seventh round pick in the 2025 NFL Draft to the Steelers for a conditional sixth round pick in the 2025 NFL Draft. But the most significant aspect of the trade is that the Steelers are taking on the entirety of of the rest of Jackson's contract, uh, what is a three-year, $40.5 million contract to which Washington signed Jackson as an unrestricted free agent in March 2021. There were reports earlier in the day on Tuesday that it was looking like the commanders were just going to release William Jackson. So that they, A, were able to trade him as opposed to having to release him, and B, got the Steelers to take on the entirety of the rest of Jackson's contract uh, are wins, major wins, given the circumstances. However, uh, as has been the case many times, especially with our Wizards over the years, uh, you only get so much credit when you adeptly clean up a mess that you created. Uh, Sure, the commanders did a nice job of exiting the William Jackson situation, given the circumstances. But let us now address the circumstances. William Jackson III's tenure with Washington was a complete debacle. It's going to be hard for Washington to ever have a bigger free agent fail than that of interior defensive lineman Albert Hainsworth. Uh, And certainly there have been plenty of other free agent fails for our team over the years. Uh, Certainly safety Adam Archuleta comes to mind. But the free agent fail that now officially is William Jackson III is right up there with so many of the other, like, spectacular free agent fails for Washington. Like, this, to me, is a top five free agent fail for Washington. Consider this. Big money free agent signings in the NFL that don't work out almost always feature at least one of the following things. The player played poorly. The player was a bad fit for the team schematically. The player dealt with injury. To a significant degree, the player became a malcontent. Well, William Jackson III's tenure with Washington featured all of these things to varying degrees. Uh, He played poorly. He was a bad fit for the team schematically. He dealt with injury to a significant degree. And he became a malcontent, or at the very least, unhappy. Uh, Let us examine these four developments, shall we? The four ways of fail for the William Jackson III tenure with Washington. Uh, First of all, William Jackson III played poorly for Washington. Uh, Jackson, in the 2021 regular season, registered an overall grade for pro football focus of just 59.3. PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Also, Jackson for Washington, a 
penalty machine. Jackson in the 2021 regular season committed a team worst eight total penalties, seven of which were accepted. Five of the eight total penalties were pass interference penalties. Jackson in this 2022 regular season for the Commanders, an overall grade for pro football focus of just 49.6. Jackson in the 25-10 loss at the Dallas Cowboys at week four, three accepted penalties, two pass interference penalties, and a holding penalty. Uh, William Jackson III was a bad fit for Washington schematically, although this does come with some caveats. Uh, So Jackson came to Washington with the reputation for being better in man coverage than in zone coverage. The belief was that Washington would, you know, adapt its scheme, at least somewhat, to fit Jackson's talents. Well, that didn't exactly happen And one of the most glaring indications of this, and this was something that I made a big deal of at the time, was Jackson at his season-ending Zoom press conference this past January 10th saying that he in the 2021 season had been, quote, doing things that I had never done before, end quote. Boy, I remember when Jackson said that, and I talked about that on the podcast. That quote from Jackson was like a flashing neon sign of confirmation that, yeah, the schematic fit uh, had not exactly been smooth. Uh, Well, how about what Ron Rivera said on Tuesday? Uh, Ron, in a conversation with Commander's Insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington on Tuesday, admitted to having made a big mistake inciting Jackson. Take a listen to JP and Ron. How did you guys arrive at this decision? Well, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is, more so than anything else, is that we looked at what we tried to do with, with, with William and, and it didn't work. I mean, quite honestly, it didn't, we didn't find the fit that we were hoping to find. Um, we were looking for a guy that had a specific skill set that could understand the match coverages and play the match coverages the way we, we, we do with everybody else. And he struggled with it because he really is a man coverage type guy. Um, so along the lines during our, our evaluation process, we were wrong. How tough is that to look at now or is that the business of pro football? That is the business of pro football. Sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. And, and, and when you get it wrong, when you recognize it, realize it, time to move on. That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to not just you know move on for us, our sake, but for also give William an opportunity to go to a team that knows that you know they're going to give this guy a shot to use his skill set and exactly what they do specifically. So how about all of that from Ron Rivera on William Jackson III? Ron, quote, we looked at what we tried to do with William and it didn't work. Quite honestly, we didn't find the fit that we were hoping to find. We were looking for a guy that had a specific skill set that could understand the match coverages and play the match coverages the way we do with everybody else. And he struggled with it because he really is a man coverage type guy. So along the lines during our evaluation process, we were wrong. End quote. It's not often that a head coach admits that clearly and that concisely that he was wrong or at least we were wrong. But you got that right there. Although, (laughs) I guess, what other choice did Ron have? I mean, he and his crew were wrong. Loud wrong. Uh, It's worth remembering, though, the following. William Jackson, during his time with Washington, struggled in both zone 
and man coverage. His poor play wasn't simply a function of the scheme. It's not like all of his bad plays came in zone coverage and all of his good plays came in man coverage. He with Washington struggled in both zone and man coverage. Now, perhaps the match coverage concepts were a big part of that, but I think that it's important to note that William Jackson himself deserves some blame here. This debacle isn't just all on Washington. He didn't play well, and he needs to take responsibility for that, at least internally, okay? There's also this, and this is an important point. The commanders do play a lot of man coverage. Uh, This narrative that is out there that the commanders play a ton of zone and very little man is wrong. That is fake news. Uh, The commanders for true media sports in this 2022 regular season have the seventh highest percentage of man coverage in the NFL and have just the 27th highest percentage of zone coverage in the NFL. It's important to understand that the predominant coverage in the NFL now is zone, not man. But on top of that, the commanders play a lot of man, even relative to the rest of the NFL. So this narrative that the commanders had Jackson constantly playing zone when he's a man coverage corner is wrong. There's a lot more to what went wrong here, and the more includes William Jackson just not having played all that well. This is a classic situation in which both sides deserve plenty of criticism, the commanders and Jackson. Uh, We continue. William Jackson III during his time with Washington dealt with injury to a significant degree. Uh, Jackson in the 2021 regular season played in just 12 of Washington's 17 games. He was inactive for two consecutive games, weeks seven and eight, due to a knee injury. He was inactive for two other consecutive games, weeks 16 and 17, due to a calf injury. And he did not play in Washington's 22-7 win at the New York Giants in week 18 due to being on the reserve COVID-19 list. And then Jackson in this 2022 regular season for the Commanders played in just four of a possible eight games for the Commanders, at least in part, due to a back injury. And the back injury is legit. I mean, he does, or at least he had, a legitimate back injury, although that, of course, does not explain the entirety of why he missed four of the commander's eight games in this 2022 regular season. And that brings us to the malcontent thing. And while saying that William Jackson III became a malcontent for the commander's is perhaps too strong, uh, things definitely got dicey. Uh, Jackson was benched in the Commanders' 21-17 loss to the Tennessee Titans at FedEx Field in Week 5. He and the game played on just 23% of the Commanders' defensive snaps. Uh, Jackson didn't even make the trip to Chicago for the Commanders' 12-7 win at the Bears on Thursday Night Football in Week 6. And we, on the morning of that game, October 13th, had a report from NFL insiders Ian Rappaport, Mike Garofolo, and Tom Pelissero of NFL Network and NFL.com that Jackson wanted to be traded. Uh, Although Jackson, on October 18th in a session with reporters, did deny having asked to be traded. Uh, Again, big money free agent signings in the NFL that do not work out almost always feature at least one of the following things. The player played poorly. The player was a bad fit for the team schematically. The player dealt with injury to a significant degree. The player became a malcontent. 
William Jackson III's tenure with Washington featured all of these things to varying degrees. That, my friends, is quite an achievement. Ultimately, the commanders paid more than $24 million to Jackson for a mere 16 regular season games, most of which were not good. I mean, the guy got a big money contract and lasted with the team for not even one and a half seasons. Think about that. That is a free agent fail. That is a free agent whiff. Uh, It's a shame because William Jackson III was a good corner for the Cincinnati Bengals. This kind of gets forgotten now, but he was a good corner for the Bengals. The Bengals took Jackson with the number 24 pick in the 2016 NFL Draft out of Houston. For Pro Football Focus, there were 95 corners who each played at least 1,000 regular season coverage snaps from 2017 through 2020. Jackson's coverage grade of 82.4 during that span was number 17 out of those 95 corners coverage grades. He was a top 20 corner in terms of coverage from 2017 through 2020. William Jackson in the 2017 regular season had one of the best seasons that you'll ever see a corner have. He per pro football focus forced incompletions on an absurd 17 of the 43 pass attempts that came his way, registered a coverage grade of 90.4. Look, I'm not going to be a phony. I endorsed Washington's signing of William Jackson III when it happened in March 2021. I was aware of the man's own thing, but silly me, I thought, hey, there's no way that Washington, especially now that it's being led by Ron Rivera in this coach-centric approach, especially now that we have Don Ron, would give big money to a corner without having, you know, thought through how the team was going to use him and without having, you know, made sure that he would be good with how the team was going to use him. There's no way that Washington would give big money to a corner without having made sure that the classic square peg and round hole phenomenon isn't gonna take place. Well, silly me, I thought wrong. Uh, It happened. And now even Ron Rivera himself admits to that. Uh, Boy, Ron better hope that William Jackson III doesn't thrive with the Steelers, because if he does thrive with the Steelers, there are gonna be a lot of questions, and there is gonna be a lot of bashing of Ron and defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio. Look, an unavoidable reality in the NFL is player personnel screw-ups. Every team has player personnel screw-ups. No team bats a 1,000 on player personnel moves. But as player personnel screw-ups go, this is a big one. Washington signing of William Jackson III. Up next, our special guest, Redskins all-time great Joe Theismann. Uh, You will hear Joe's thoughts on the state of the commander's season, whether they are better off with Taylor Heineke at quarterback than they were with Carson Wentz at quarterback, whether Taylor should remain the commander's starting quarterback, even when Carson is healthy, and a lot more. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you would like to be a part of the movement of the revolution that is the Al Galdi podcast, if you would like to advertise your business or practice on the pod and reach thousands of people every episode at a very affordable price, hit us up. The email address is the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. The four and four commanders host the six and one Minnesota Vikings this Sunday afternoon at one. The Vikings starting quarterback, of course, is former Redskins quarterback, Kirk Cousins, who, depending on how you define franchise quarterback, is the closest thing to a true franchise quarterback that Washington has had since the team's last true franchise quarterback. And that man joins me now, Redskins all-time great Joe Theismann, Super Bowl 17 champion, the Associated Press MVP for the 1983 NFL regular season. He was a quarterback for the Skins from 1974 to 1985. He was the Skins' primary starting quarterback from 1978 to 1985. He remains a big fan of the team, follows it closely, and is very close to the organization. Joe is an insider. Uh, You can follow Joe on Twitter at Theismann7. Joe, it's great to have you back on the podcast. How are you? I'm good, Al. Thanks so much for having me. It's always good to catch up with you. Well, first time that I've had you on the podcast since the terrific NFL Network documentary on you. Joe Theismann, A Football Life, debuted in September. What was it like for you watching that? It was uh, was absolutely flattering uh, that they first of all asked me uh, to do one. And then uh, to take really, really my life from my high school days to my collegiate days to my time in Canada and, of course, my time as a Washington Redskin and um, all the relationships, all the, the friends of mine that I've made, all the people that have comments. Uh, it was great to get back and see Drew Pearson back home in South River. I mean, Drew was, I guess you could say, my first receiver. Uh, then Art was on there. Art was sort of like the last. So even the receivers were sort of bookended. You know, my wife, we were sitting there watching and Robin turned to me and she said, that's you. I mean, she just, you know, she just absolutely said, that's you. That's that's your life. That's that is it it couldn't have been depicted any better. Like I said, I'm flattered. And it's sort of neat to know that there's all the guys that have played in National Football League that I was lucky enough to be one that they decided to do a show on. And so it was fun. 
I bet. Congratulations on that. Uh, well, the Commanders, uh, they have won three consecutive games, have gone from 1-4 and four to 4-4. Four and four. What is the overall Joe Theismann assessment of where we're at with the Commanders so far in the 2022 regular season? I think the one thing that's jumped out at me is our defense is, the playing, is, our defense is playing the way it was a couple of years ago. Last year was, you know, it was a, it was a bad year defensively. Uh, a lot of changes, a lot of uh, opportunities for other teams to make big plays. I think our defense is playing really good football. And I, and I believe this. With every football team, it starts with your defense. Even look at the Eagles and the Cowboys, you know, and, and really the Giants. Those three teams in our division, their defenses are playing really well. And the offense is following suit. I think that's the case for us. Our defense is setting the tone and doing a great job. Um, you know, Carson was trying to assimilate into a system. There's been changes in the offensive line, major changes in the offensive line. And I think he suffered the consequences of some of those changes. Um, and, and then now Taylor's in there. Taylor has escapability. Um, he's a, you know, he's a, a little bit of a gunslinger. Uh, he brings excitement, I think, not only to the fans, but he also brings excitement to the team. Sometimes that kind of excitement, no coach wants to look at it. It's making Ron older than he wants to in a hurry, as well as Scott. But, um, you know, he's, he's got abilities to be able to make plays with his legs. And you really have to, in this day and age, be able to move around. We, of course, saw a good bit of Taylor Heineke as a Washington quarterback last season. We've only seen him for two games in this 2022 regular season. So the sample size for him this season is small. But do you think that we're seeing an improved Taylor Heineke as compared to what we saw last season? I see a more comfortable Taylor Heineke. He's in and out of the huddle quicker. Uh, that's one thing I look at. That's the familiarity with the system. He gets the ball out of his hands. He doesn't hold it as long as he did a year ago because he wasn't sure what he was doing. No young guy is. And it, it's, it's everybody's in that particular vein. Um, the thing that then this is, you know, it's really interesting you bring up Taylor. Go back to the Green Bay Packer game. And why, you know, why is Taylor sort of, in my mind, a, a fire plug for this football team? He throws the interception. And this is something nobody has talked about. Nobody on talk radio, nobody in Washington that I've heard has mentioned this. And to me, it jumped out at me. At the end, just as the Green Bay Packer linebacker is going into the end zone. There's a guy diving at his feet trying to knock him out of bounds, and that was Taylor Heineke. He ran 50-plus yards to try and knock the guy out of bounds. There aren't a whole lot of quarterbacks in this league that would try and do that. Some of them, Most of them couldn't get there. But Taylor was just hustling his rear end off to do everything he could. And, and this is who he is. He's a hard-playing, hard-hustling football player who wants to do well. And, and I think, you know, what we've done is th there's players put in, in around him now. I mean, you look at Logan Thomas now. I mean, you know, it was Terry and Curtis, um, you know, different guys that have stepped up and played very, very well. Jahan hasn't even been back on the field yet. So I, and I, and I think the running back situation is really a nice compliment. The other thing too, that I really like you know, with regard to this football team is Antonio Gibson basically was going to lose his job. And then Brian, unfortunately, got hurt, but now he's well again. But it didn't deter Antonio from going out and being a professional and doing his job. Now he's on kick returns. Uh, he's still, when he came out of college, he never really had a chance to be able to learn how to be a running back because we had the pandemic. And so you miss all the training camp and all the pre-work. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited for the combination of this football team. And, of course, our kicking game is as solid as can be. Yeah, I just... 
I tell Tress all the time, you're my favorite player. I mean, right, you know, that, that 65-yard punt he kicked the other day, that was huge in that ball game. Tress Way is such a weapon, especially when you consider the instability that so many NFL teams have had at punter. I mean, this is Tress's ninth consecutive season as Washington's punter. Uh, a big question that has come up is, are the commanders actually better off with Taylor Heineke at quarterback than they were with Carson Wentz at quarterback? What's your answer to that question? I, I think they're more versatile. I wouldn't say better or worse. I would say there's more versatility. There's more of a of the playbook available to Scott Turner, our offensive coordinator, with Taylor back there. I think you can move him a little bit more than you can Carson, which is I think is important when you've got an offensive line that's sort of trying to grow together. And really, you know, Al, over the last two years, sort of the unsung heroes of this offense have been the offensive line. I mean, there's been there's been stability. There hasn't been a lot of sacks. They've blocked well in the run in the past. It's been a little bit of mix and match right now with guys being hurt. You know, Chase has been out. Eric's gone. Brian, uh, Sheriff's gone. You know, so, I mean, you've got new faces in new places. Um, and even though they may have been on the team, it's still different. So are they better? I think they're different. You know Rod Rivera. What do you think that he's truly thinking in terms of potentially going back to Carson Wentz as a team starting quarterback once Carson is fully recovered from the fractured finger on his throwing hand? Is the thinking as simple as if Taylor Heineke plays well, he will remain as the commander's starting quarterback? I think so. I think if Taylor plays well and you win in football games, Taylor's your quarterback. I mean, we've seen it happen umpteen times. We wound up with Alex Smith. Uh, Alex Smith wound up leaving San Francisco. Alex Smith wound up leaving Kansas City because you had, you know, Colin Kaepernick first and then Patrick Mahomes. I, I think, you know, you, it's, it's, it's not that one is so much better than the other. I think they're, you know, comparable as far as the quarterback position goes. But Taylor brings more to the table. And, and to be, be honest, you know, you're looking for that escapability. You're looking for the guy that can make plays with his legs, and Carson just can't. I mean, that's a fact. Now, now, some people, I guarantee you, Al, would say, well, Taylor's making this and Carson's making that, and that has absolutely no bearing on what Ron Rivera is going to do. I promise you it has absolutely no bearing on what's going to happen. I think, what, Carson's probably another three, four weeks away. So where will this football team be three, four weeks from now? Will we be... You know, we're, we're at eight games now, so it'll be 12 games. You know, what will be our record at that time? And, and a lot of times you just can't look at the record because you've heard me say this umpteen times. The quarterback position is the single most dependent position on the field. Take our Green Bay game uh, with the commanders. They dropped eight balls. They dropped eight passes and two interceptions. Green Bay did in that game. We won. And, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers is now coming under attack. Oh, you've lost this many games in a row and all that other stuff. But, you know, it, it, you have to rely on the people around you. And I think that uh, Taylor has, like I said, a good compliment around him. And now he's, he should get you know better and better and better and more comfortable in the offense. More with Joe Theismann in moments. But speaking of being more comfortable, it's okay right now to feel comfortable buying a home in the Washington, D.C. area. Prices are coming down. Moody's Analytics is predicting an overall year-to-year housing price decline of 6% nationally and about a 10% fall from the price peak 
this past June. Housing prices are falling. Now, actually, is a very good time to buy a home, even with the increases in mortgage rates. You can always refinance when the rates come down, and they will come down. And so if you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, contact real estate agent Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt understands the current market, but he's not just some know-it-all. He is here for you to listen to you, to hear what you want, and then determine the best way of going about getting you what you want, no matter your age or situation in life. His website says it all, CloseItWithKell.com. Kellen Hunt is a closer. Kellen Hunt will close you buying the home that you want. And Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yes, you the buyer get a piece of the action. If you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if anyone who you know is looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, the name to know is Kellen Hunt. Take advantage of the current marketplace with Kellen Hunt. Visit CloseItWithKell.com. That's CloseItWithKell, K-E-L-L.com. Book your call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you you will do well by going with Kel. Visit CloseItWithKel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. We're talking commanders with Redskins all-time great Joe Theismann. So Joe, probably the biggest knock on Taylor Heineke is his lack of arm strength. Uh, he has talked about working on his throwing mechanics this past offseason in order to increase the velocity on his passes. In your experience, is increasing velocity on passes and increasing arm strength things that can be done, or are velocity and arm strength things that you either have or you don't have? You know, your arm strength is going to be what it's going to be. I mean, you're not you're not going to if you try and strengthen your arm, you're going to add muscle, and then it's going to hurt it really more than anything. I mean, you know, I never used to lift weights, upper body weight, simply because I didn't want to tighten my arm. I mean, it was. It was a spaghetti arm. It was, you know, since I was a kid, I could just, I could just throw the living day. I'd take me about four throws to warm up, and I was ready to go. See, the whole thing about throwing deep balls, it's not the distance that you throw it. It's when you get it out of your hand. Every go route, a nine route, okay? So if anybody doesn't understand football, when the receiver just takes off down the field, all right, you have to get that ball out of your hands at approximately with him at 12 to 15 yards, which means that your deep ball is going to wind up being, eh, you know, 25 yards down the field. I mean, let's face it, Terry in this, the, the catch that Terry makes at the end of this game, that's underthrown. I mean, that ball is underthrown. Taylor's moving around and he's trying to get, that's, you can't wait till somebody's breaking open. Um, you know, if, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm open, you know, I'm gone. I mean, when you get even, you're leaving. And that's what I what I used to look at is if you got even with somebody, then I'd let it go. You can't wait to see some. You can't wait to see somebody open, Al, in this league. When you wait to see somebody open, they're covered. That's the way. That's how. That's how the windows close in our league. So to me, arm strength. You know, Joe Montana didn't have the strongest arm. You know, Randall Cunningham had an incredible arm. Josh Allen has an incredible arm. But you you can get by. And actually, be very efficient at the position. Drew Brees, do you know? Do you know who lit, I believe still leads the league in passes of over twenty yards completed? Drew Brees. 
So, you know, it has really very little to do with your arm strength. It has to do with when you get the ball out of your hands. You mentioned Terry McLaurin, who, of course, has been so good this season, especially over the last two games. Uh, you played with some great receivers, including three of the best receivers in Redskins history, Charlie Taylor, Art Monk, and Gary Clark. Is it wrong to think that Terry McLaurin ultimately is going to prove to be worthy of being mentioned in the company of those guys, that Terry truly is that special? You know, it's funny you mentioned that word special, Al. I sent him a text the other day, and that's exactly what I said. You really are special. Um, he has great hands. You know, he reminds me of Santana Moss. Sa- Santana Moss, Alvin, uh, Alvin Garrett, Art Monk. These are guys that I played with and watched Santana. When you get the ball around them, they're going to attack the ball. They're not going to let the ball come to them. They're going to go get the ball. Terry has great ball skills. He has great hands. He's got strong hands. And Jahan, I believe, from the little bit we've seen, is the same type of a receiver. So you've got two guys who attack the ball and, and can go get it. Uh, yeah, I think he's I think he's very special. I think he's a hard worker, terrific young man. Um, and, you know, it's great to see him have the success. And the other thing is, too, I hope other players are looking at what happened to Terry. The organization has rewarded him for his hard work and his production. So what basically... I think the organization is saying, is, hey, look, you bust your rear end. You know, we're, Jonathan Allen's another one. And, and there aren't organizations, you got organizations now that are doing fire sales. You know, Chicago, Carolina, they're, 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 they're working on a, a reboot. You know, and to me, we're looking at the guys that are really, I think, contributing a lot and making sure they're going to stay, you know, commanders. The Commanders' next two games are against two of the better teams in the NFC, home to the 6-1 and one Minnesota Vikings this Sunday afternoon at 1, then at the 7-0 and oh Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football on November 14th. The Commanders' three-game winning streak is nice, but they've won the three games by a total of just eight points. The offense needs to be better. It would seem that the Commanders are going to need to score at least a good amount of points to do well against the Vikings and Eagles. Uh, what do you want to see from this commander's offense moving forward? I was just I was just going to mention, I think you need to score points. You know, we've for the last three years, we just haven't really scored a lot of points. And you don't want, you know, I mean, we wind up winning the game 23-21, but the bottom line was it was it was 16, 20, it was 21-16 going into the last minute of the game. You know, you can't just have 16 points going into the last minute of a game and expect to win a lot of football games. So I think this football team has to find a way when you get in the red zone to put the ball in the end zone. You can't just settle for threes. I think you have to find ways to get touchdowns. That to me would be the the number one thing that I think this offense needs to work on is finding points. Um, and they're going to have to. Minnesota is going to be a great test. Minnesota is probably the most overlooked best team in football right now. Nobody's talking about it. Oh, by the way, they're six and one. And this is the first time Kirk has come home. Uh, to Washington D.C., and it, it's it's great to see the success he's had. Um, he looks the same way. I, I, you know, when I when we had, I was doing preseason games when Kirk and, and Robert were there, and and watching Kirk, Kirk when he came out of college looks exactly like he does now. <laughs> his mechan- his mechanics are the same. Go back and watch him at Michigan State. His mechanics are basically the same. He's smart. He knows where he wants to go with the football. And this particular year, more than any years, I think he's made throws. The Sort of the knock has been, well, he, you know, he doesn't make 
He makes the mistake. Well, he's not. He's making the great throws now. He's making the good decisions now. And plus, he's got a running attack. And, you know, the Viking defense is sort of finding itself. So I think this is going to be a great game for us, uh, a great test of resiliency. And where are we? Um, You know, back in 19, I I sent a text to, to Ron. When we were going to play the Chicago Bears, I said in 1981, we were 0 and 5. We went and played the Chicago Bears. Our offense and our defense and our special teams all together contributed in the win. And I said, everything started in Chicago. And I'm hoping that uh, history will repeat itself now, that everything has started in Chicago. We finished that season 8 and 3 after we went 0 and 5. So I think this football team's continuing to grow and get better and better. But like I said, it on offense, you've got to score points. Defense, you have to play the way you've been playing. Well, Rod Rivera wasn't drafted by the Chicago Bears until the 1984 NFL Draft. Did he text back to you? Yeah, Joe, had I been with the Bears by 81, no way would the Skins have won that game. <laughs> he probably, well, he probably was right. You know, it's, it's, there's always that debate, which is the best defense in the history of football, modern history, let's say. Um, is it the Baltimore Ravens or is it the Chicago Bears? Um, I can tell you, I never played against the Raven team with Ray and all those guys, but the Chicago Bears 85 football team not only were conceptually difficult to deal with, but the athletes that they had, you know, from Richard Dent uh, to Fridge Perry to Dan Hampton to Steve McMichael to, you know, uh, Mike Singletary to Otis Wilson to Wilbur Marshall and Gary Fence. I mean, all the all those different guys in the back end. I mean, it was it was an unbelievable group of athletes that uh, Buddy just turned loose on the world. Yeah, and to this day, when people are referencing great NFL defense, they still reference the '85 Bears, as in, yeah, that's a good defense, but those guys aren't the '85 Bears. You're not going to find the 85 Bears. Yeah. I tell you, the Philadelphia Eagles, to me, and, and the Dallas Cowboys have got two great defensive units. That's why, you know, this week is important. These next two weeks, I think, are important to really find out who the commanders are and where we are in this process. I do want to ask you about the non-football stuff for the commanders in this way. So you are a Redskins all-time great. You clearly care a lot about the franchise. You know a lot of the principal people with the franchise, including the co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder. What has it been like for you with all of the non-football stuff with the team for years now, right? The scandals, the investigations, the calls for Dan to sell the team, uh, Indianapolis Colts owner and CEO Jim Irsay saying that there is merit to removing Dan as owner. You know, this constant barrage of all of this stuff, so much of it so ugly and disturbing and off-putting. What has all of this been like for you? I think, I think it's frustrating. I, you know, I just, I just try and focus on the guys in the football team. You know, the coaches are friends of mine. The players are friends of mine. Ownership I've known for a, for a long, long time. Um, I, I just I just want us to win football games right now. That's the only thing I'm focusing on. Everything else is is um, out of my control, out of everybody's control, except you know, the people that are involved. And I, I don't really, you know, I don't, you know, I just, it's like I say, it's frustrating to see the, the organization go through what it's going through. But on the other side of it, um, you know, I want to focus on these football players. I want to. I want these guys to be able to go out and win football games. 
you know, I, I want them to win the fans back, to be honest with you, Al, because I'm tired of sitting in a stadium and looking across the field and seeing all green and gold or blue or light blue or whatever. Um, you know, I want I want to see a lot of burgundy. I want to see a lot of, you know, our, our fans over there cheering, make it, make it difficult for teams to come in. Uh, and, uh, you know, I understand it takes a little while to win everybody's trust back. And I think this football team is making strides doing that. Hopefully Redskins all-time great Joe Theismann. Joe, thank you very much for your time and all the best to you. Thanks, Al. Good catch up with you. Take care. Well, the Capitals, off each of their first nine games in the 2022-2023 NHL regular season, having been decided in regulation, now on back-to-back nights have had non-regulation games. Uh, Monday night, a 3-2 shootout loss at the Carolina Hurricanes, and Tuesday night, a 3-2 overtime loss to the Vegas Golden Knights at Capital One Arena. The Caps fell to 5-4-2, and and believe it or not, got even more injured. Uh, What is happening with the Caps right now with injuries is surreal. First of all, the Caps on Tuesday afternoon announced brutal news. It turns out that forward Connor Brown, who is said to have suffered a lower body injury in the Caps 6-4 win over the Vancouver Canucks at Capital One Arena on October 17th, actually suffered a torn right ACL. Uh, The Caps Public Relations Department on Tuesday afternoon tweeted the following, quote, Caps forward Connor Brown, who was injured on October 17th versus Vancouver, underwent a surgical procedure on his right knee to reconstruct his torn ACL. Based on the nature of this procedure, Brown is expected to miss six to eight months, end quote. Uh, Devastating news for the Caps. Uh, Brown was a significant acquisition for the Caps, this past offseason of the Caps, this past July 13th, what was day one of NHL free agency, announced having traded a second round pick in the 2024 NHL draft to the Ottawa Senators for Connor Brown. He came to the Caps having been a durable player over his six full NHL seasons, but he now is out due to a torn right ACL. So we had the Connor Brown news on Tuesday afternoon, and then in the game on Tuesday night, Another cap got hurt. In fact, one of their injury replacements got hurt. Ford Beck Malenstein suffered an upper body injury and did not return to the game. And also during the game was Ford Garnett Hathaway dealing with something, but he did return to the game. Uh, Unreal. Uh, The Caps already were without six key players Due to injury, defenseman John Carlson and five forwards, T.J. Oshie, Connor Brown, Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, Carl Hagelin. Uh, It is amazing what is going on here. Uh, Carlson did not play due to a lower body injury, due to a lower body injury that he suffered in the 3-0 win at the Nashville Predators this past Saturday night. T.J. Oshie did not play due to a lower body injury that he suffered in that win at the Predators on Saturday night. And we on Monday morning learned that Oshie is out indefinitely. And then you have Nicholas Backstrom, Tom Wilson, and Carl Hagelin. Each of those guys has yet to play this regular season. Uh, Backstrom is coming off having undergone left hip resurfacing surgery in Belgium this past June 17th. Wilson is recovering from a torn left ACL that he suffered in the Caps 4-2 win at the Florida Panthers this past May 3rd in Game 1 of the Caps' six-game loss to the Panthers in the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. And Coral Hagelin 
Uh, he underwent an arthroscopic surgical procedure to address his chronic left hip. He underwent that procedure this past October 10th. He was already trying to come back from a serious left eye injury that he suffered in practice this past March 1st. I don't know how you even really evaluate the Caps right now, given how depleted they are. Uh, but I guess we'll try to evaluate the Caps. Uh, the Caps on Tuesday night did have a bad third period. They blew a 2-1 third period lead with that bad third period. Uh, the Caps in the third period per natural stat trick had just nine five-on-five shot attempts to the Golden Knights, 17. Uh, also, the Caps in the third period totaled just four shots on goal to the Golden Knights, 10. And the Caps gave up a game-tying even-strength goal uh, to William Carrier, 1404 into the third period. The five-on-five puck possession battle for the game was about even, but the Caps finished the game with just 21 shots on goal to the Golden Knights, 31. Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his post-game press conference on Tuesday night, not happy about the Caps' third period. I didn't like the way we played the third period. I understand the circumstances. I understand the situation, but that doesn't mean you have to like the way we played the third. I thought that we sat back, we left too many holes, and, um, you know, we gave up a half a dozen chances. We didn't generate much. And so, therefore, we're playing defense. And we run the risk of pucks coming at our net. And so I think there's things that we could have done better on that goal. Um, but they had a couple looks where they, you know, got somebody to the middle of the ice or their fourth man to the middle of the ice. And it was just, I think, too many chances in the third period. Not enough press and too many chances against them. So the Caps starting goaltender on Tuesday night was Charlie Lindgren. Uh, the Caps were playing the second game of a back-to-back, and so the backup got the start. Uh, he was a Caps starting goaltender for the third time in 11 games in this regular season, and all things considered, he was good. Uh, he stopped 28 of the 31 shots on goal that he faced. Lindgren, per natural stat trick, stopped five of the six high-danger shots on goal that he faced, stopped eight of the 10 medium-danger shots on goal that he faced and stopped all 12 of the low danger shots on goal that he faced. And Peter Laviolette during his postgame press conference on Tuesday night, very happy with Charlie Lindgren. Take a listen to these exchanges. How do you feel about your goaltending right now? Awesome. They were fantastic. They've been fantastic. Lindgren's first start here in D.C., how do you think he just kind of responded? He was awesome. He played great. He gave us he gave us every chance to win a game. It was two one with six minutes to go. Yeah, the Caps goaltending over the last three games overall has been good. Darcy Kemper very good in each of the Caps' previous two games. Uh, the Caps on Tuesday night one of two on the penalty kill and one of two on the power play. Forward Alex Ovechkin had the secondary assist on a first period power play goal by forward Marcus Johansson. Ovi also had four hits, but he also totaled just one shot on goal. Five of his eight total shot attempts were blocked. Uh, The Caps injury situation right now is absurd. Uh, Hopefully things calm down. Next up for the Caps at the Detroit Red Wings, Thursday night at 7. All right. One more thing before we call it a show. We on Tuesday evening learned of the 2022 Gold Glove winners in Major League Baseball. The Nationals had one Gold Glove finalist, center fielder Victor Robles. He did not win 
a gold glove. The Orioles had two gold glove finalists, center fielder Cedric Mullins and third baseman Ramon Arias. Oh, shortstop Jorge Mateo, criminally not a gold glove finalist. Uh, that remains an outrage. But anyway, Mullins did not win a gold glove, but Arias did win a gold glove. Uh, first Oriole to win a gold glove since third baseman Manny Machado in 2015. Uh, Arias for the 2022 regular season led all American League third baseman in defensive runs saved with 14 and was tied for the most outs above average among American League third basemen with seven. By the way, how did the O's acquire Ramon Arias? Selected him off waivers from the St. Louis Cardinals in February 2020. Yet another oh-so-shrewd move by Orioles Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias. Joe Angel, give it to me. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, thank you, Joe. Uh, and that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 435, will feature a lot on the 4-4 four and four Commanders as they on Wednesday are beginning their practice week for this Sunday afternoon's game against the 6-1 and one Minnesota Vikings at FedEx Field. We expect to have post-practice press conferences on Wednesday for head coach Rod Rivera and quarterback Taylor Heineke, so we'll have a lot to get into, including presumably more from Ron on the trade of corner William Jackson III to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, also on Thursday's show, we'll talk Wizards. Uh, they have a game on Wednesday evening at the Philadelphia 76ers at 6. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, and I'll talk to you on Thursday. We looked at what we tried to do with, with, with William, and, and it didn't work. I mean, quite honestly, it didn't, we didn't find the fit that we were hoping to find. Um, so along the lines, during our, our evaluation process, we were wrong.